Yeah, Westport Roanoke Community Center, shout out. I went in to vote. There was a fairly long line, which there wasn't often at that polling center when I would go, but so I was just like walking around the center and peeked in a window and there were people making pottery and I was like, what? That's cool. I've never, you know, really utilized this for anything but voting, but I found that they had a, like a really inexpensive pottery program and um, the instructor there at the time, Michael Oliver, was really kind and like very open. It was a very... I think that part of the reason that I was so consistent, like that I didn't stop going there, was that it was a very student-led program. Basically, I would just think of something that I wanted to do and be like, Michael, how do I, how do, I do this? <laughs> I think probably I bugged him a little bit, but that's how I tend to learn, so. Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. Hello. This week, we are excited to talk with sweet destructor ceramicist Evie Inglesos. We met Evie in her new loft studio in the Kansas City Crossroads Arts District. For those who don't know, the Crossroads is a bustling neighborhood filled with artists, studios, and gallery spaces. Years ago, the area was just another overlooked corner of the city, but then a creative community started to settle there, drawn by an abundance of space and cheap rent. When we first moved to town and started going to the monthly First Friday crawl, it was already a popular event. But when we went last month, I was shocked to see how it had grown. Not only were there more galleries to visit, but the crawl has taken on a street fair quality with sidewalk vendors, food trucks, and outdoor music. The best thing for us about First Friday is, obviously, the studio visits. There are so many buildings that you can wander through and see the artist's actual workspaces. You can talk to them, look at their work, and really get a feel for the process. This makes it a vastly different experience than simply visiting an art fair or gallery. Evie Studio is in one of these buildings that are open on First Fridays, and it is interesting how the artists have to treat it as both a studio and a retail space. So not only do they need to have all of their production materials, but they kind of need to furnish it so it can be used to sell, at least once a month. It's a good incentive to keep the place clean. To some extent, I imagine the artist is forced to reset every 30 days or so. That's true. I know I certainly welcome any and all incentives to keep my own studio clean. Evie's studio space is in a large loft room, which she shares with three other artists. It is such a perfect studio, open, airy, and bright. Those banks of windows. I know. What a luxury. The space is also new, to her, as she has only been in it for a few months. In fact, that's a good place to start. Here's Evie talking about settling into her new environment. By the way, you can see pictures of Evie Studio on our website, helloatelier.org, so check those out after you've listened to the episode. I'm really into rituals, personal rituals, and then past rituals, that sort of thing. So as my own work ritual, uh, when I come in and I'm going to work in the studio, I plug in my chandelier. Whenever I'm working, it's on as a sort of reminder of purpose. I don't know. I have I have lots of things like that set up in my life. In my home studio, I have a lot more of other people's artwork up, and I think that's something that I would like to integrate into the space, but because I have these fabulous windows, which I would not trade for anything in the world, it is difficult to find a place to hang things like that, so there's going to be some problem solving. It's still a little bit alien just because I've worked at home for so long. It's still taking some getting used to, and I don't feel like I'm This is not quite a fully functional space yet. It's still very proto-functional, we'll say. (laughs) Like I can do most of the things that I need to do here, but not everything. And it's, it's not set up ideally, but 
but it will be in the future. I still maintain a home studio because sometimes you're inspired to do something and you are wearing pajamas and it's like midnight. Before discovering ceramics, Evie was a printmaker, working in a medium that seems a world away from clay, but still influences her style. Printmaking is like one of the more egalitarian arts, you would say. Like, you know, it's got this rich history of being of the people. So that's one aspect of it that I really was drawn to. Um, It's also not precious. I mean, it is and it isn't. The part that I was interested in was like the non-preciousness of it the everyday usage of it, which I think kind of ties into my current practice. So printmaking, I made zines for a while with a partner, my partner, Josh Mutre, who uh, I worked with for many years. And I realized that a lot of what I did was on the computer, but the part of the part of the printmaking that I really enjoyed was the, like the hands-on aspect of it. Mm-hmm. When our zine sort of dissolved, I was looking for something that was more hands-on or but also at the same time not necessarily precious but special and I just kind of happened upon a ceramics program at the community center. For many years I worked at an office in like a corporate setting and I when I was when I started making ceramics it was a hobby obviously. And I started posting things online and people would ask me how they could buy them, which I think is, you know, great that friends want to support you, but not a way to make a living, certainly. Eventually, it would be like people that I didn't know that would be asking how they could buy things. And so I was like, hmm, well, perhaps I could make this work. It was a hopeful time. (laughs) It was a more hopeful time. Um, Affordable Care Act, like, you know, I felt like I could safely leave my very good paying very good benefits job and kind of like shamble on with some dignity (laughs) so and I and also I mean I was just wasn't cut out for that environment I was kind of like miserable and my partner and I were just like well let's see if we can make this work and we did and we have we don't have a glamorous lifestyle but you know it's working out I'm sort of like a very (laughs) weird personality I'm very slow but I'm also very impetuous. So like there were many years where I was like, hmm, 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 hmm. And then suddenly I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I would always like to grow wholesale in like new markets. What In Kansas City, what I really like to do is, so that not everyone has the same type of work, I try to like differentiate what types of work different stores want or what they think might be best for their consumer and I like to do custom collaborations with stores also in one way it's nice for people to see your work everywhere but if it's I feel like if I see the same work everywhere then that's a different type of operation that I have like I'm just one person making things that I think look cool so like if I make just the same thing and have just the same thing in all in every store then there's no sense of discovery when you go somewhere else um like when you go to a different store and see my work I want there to be like a little bit of delight like I've never seen that piece before or that's slightly different from her other work or that's new or perhaps it's old because you know you just never know like um, I want there to be always a, a feeling of surprise or delight. While it seems that no two sweet destructor pieces are alike Evie has created a signature look for her ceramics. Most often they feature a white background with an otherworldly design in black and perhaps a touch of gold. 
Look closely and you can see how Evie's Greek heritage and interest in mythology have influenced her work. It's not that I necessarily need to work monochromatically. I just find that the way that my work is evolving right now, there's a lot more painting and drawing. I come at that sort of like a printmaker too. Like there's, uh, I use additive and reductive processes. And right now the way that that looks best to me is in black and white. And then with like, you know, I want to make it fancy. So I put a little gold on there too. I'm trying to still make the illustrations graphic. That's that the black and white ties into that. The drawings are something that I'm working with right now. I think about a lot of symbols and I like to tie that in in some way. Like obviously the evil eyes, something that is thematically evident in much of my work, but that is one of many symbols that are sort of tied in together in a very complex mythology. My dad's from Greece. Uh, I used to have an evil eye collection he had brought back from me. I just, that was something that I would ask him to get when he would go there. I mean, there's a reason why that symbol in particular is attractive to people. It spans so many cultures and means so many things in different places in the world. That in, in and of itself is something that I'm interested in. In most usage, it's like a, a protective symbol like a watchfulness, and there's this idea of an omniscience, which is fascinating because there's omniscience in a good way, like as a protector, and then there's omniscience in a bad way, like uh, 1984 or like the Eye of Sauron. You know, like there, it's just like so prevalent everywhere, but I find it to be a fascinating symbol, and some people are put off by it because they, they do think of it as like, as like a, a a symbol of evil when it's really a like a protection of evil and the and the interesting thing in greek culture is that you can give it accidentally like it's not always necessarily malicious you can accidentally hex somebody somebody i guess like someone that you love like oh oh they got a new car oh i wish i had a new car whoops evil eye <laughs> The black and white simplicity of Evie's ceramics belie the intricate narrative of inspiration that is imbued into each piece. Sweet Destructor Ceramics is the manifestation of, as Evie says, her thoughts on the earth and the natural world, the beauty of mystical thinking, death and humankind's desire to cheat it, past and future histories, ancient and recent mythologies, science and fiction and fantasy, the joy of creation and the necessity of destruction. That is a lot of ideology packed in each cup, dish, and vase. A lot of people ask me what sweet destructor means. So normally I'll just like have a quick answer about, you know, haha, I break a lot of stuff, huh? because it is awkward to have like an ontological discussion in a craft fair booth, one might say. Um, but as because I do wildlife rehabbing also, I do think about death a lot, like the how intrinsically linked creation and destruction are and how that in ancient times that was worked into life because people firsthand experienced death much more often than we as Western Americans experience it now. In olden days, we had mythologies to explain natural processes to us. That was our way to interact with the world that we lived in. It's interesting to me how we are 
what our current mythologies are in relationship to that, like um, religion, science. I mean, I believe in science. I better say that right out front <laughs> because I'm, I don't want to like, I always get this fear that I sound like too woo woo and like mystical, but that's not, I just like, I'm interested in mystery. There's just all kinds of stuff that we don't know about yet. And I find that really interesting, the path of discovery, but also mystery and the way that that is parallel to past cultures, like trying to figure out things through mythology and through like, oh, that's Helios. He drags the sun across the sky in a chariot. Sure, why not? Like that's, of course, that's what's happening. I'm inspired by nature. A lot of people, everyone's inspired by nature, right? Like that's something that everybody says. Um, But to me, what's interesting is like what aspect of nature. There's the, what might be called the darker aspect, which is like the, the struggle not only our struggle against nature, but we are also animals. So we struggle with the same thing that wildlife struggles with. You know, we have strife and we have death and, and we have love, which is like a controversial thing, whether animals experience love. But what is love rather than like a evolved feeling of community that is evolutionary beneficial to us, you know? So, oh man. <laughs> We're going really deep here. Um, Those are the things that I think about a lot. And a a lot of it does come up as because of my relationship with animals and um, with the wild bird rehabbing. Um, There's a lot of life and death there. Last April, Jonathan and I were out in our yard when we heard an unusual noise, a loud tempoed bleating. At first, we assumed that it was just some kids in the neighborhood, but I soon realized it sounded like a goat. And sure enough, as we peered up and down the street, a baby goat came trotting our way. We corralled it in our fenced backyard and then thought, so now what? What are we going to do with this frightened, crying baby goat? My first thought? Call Evie. I followed Evie's adventures in wildlife rehabbing online. She's a modern-day Snow White, often seen with a bird balanced delicately on a single finger. A lot of people haven't ever had a one-on-one or a special relationship with a wild animal and I think it's a special thing to have I think it's something that everyone should have like once in their life like a I say relationship I'm not saying like this a hawk rides on your shoulder or something I just mean like you know there's a bird outside that you recognize it's different from all the other birds and you like he is more familiar with you or a uh, or like raccoons that you feed and like event you know sometimes you'll see him outside and wave to him and say hey buddy you can identify an individual, and I think that's important to recognize that wild animals are also individuals, just as we are. I found a baby bird, just a little sack of guts, basically, in a parking garage and wasn't sure what to do with him. So I took him to Lakeside Nature Center and was really fascinated by what they were doing there. Like, they have a wildlife hospital there, and basically I couldn't leave this bird there because he was non-native it was a starling and starlings are what they call an invasive species so I unwilling to just let it die I raised it and then realized that because I had gotten it from a nestling stage so it was like had fallen out of its nest it wasn't ready to join the world yet it had imprinted on my partner and I and it would have been irresponsible to let it go at that point because it would have not integrated into a flock 
there's a quote, I can't attribute it correctly, uh, about being responsible for the things that you tame. And I believe in that. So I, he was raised by me, and so I continued to, like, he lived as a pet, which is not, I want to stress, not legal for any other native birds. Like, you can't keep any native birds as pets. This was only legal because he was non-native, and basically nobody cares about starlings, so it was fine. Um, his name was Flugelman, and he lived with me for a long time um, until he passed away, and that's what got me into rehabbing. I decided that once I had a little bit more free time, I wanted to go back to Lakeside and really learn how to do this. St. Louis has a wild, a specific songbird hospital, so I took a couple classes there about rehabbing, and I volunteer at Lakeside people have this feeling of helplessness like I get questions all people ask me animal questions all the time which is great like that's that's why I learned because I did not know what to do like I wanted to be able to help animals and help other people when that happens because it happens all the time it's something that I am really passionate about building up diversity like supporting animal wildlife because we're really on their turf we keep 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 pushing them out it's something that I'm will continue to do for the rest of my life it's very important to me we hope you enjoyed this interview with Evie Inglesos. Oh, and just in case you were wondering, the baby goat was returned to its rightful owner after spending a night safe in our chickenless chicken coop. Hello Atelier is produced by Phonicalia Media. If you love our show, you can help support us on Patreon with a small donation that helps keep us sponsor-free. Or simply subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can live a little Hello Atelier every day.